Happy Monday. I really don't know how professional pitchers do it. Like, my kids got these foam airplanes over the weekend, and I threw them, like, maybe a, a combined total of five times. I, I, I think I need Tommy John surgery. Like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how you throw a baseball 100 miles an hour 100 times in a day. But this is uh, today. In well, old. you practice. Was... You don't just throw one time for the uh, like first time in a decade, maybe, with your old arthritic tendonitis loaded shoulder, and yeah. then wonder how it happens. So I'm old. Yeah. How's it old. going? That's Do you feel good. old? I feel older every day. <laughs> every day. Well, that's true. Every day I feel it though. Uh, it's 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 weighing on me. You know, I this weekend both flew by and feels like we haven't done this show in forever, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. I wonder how many so. experience that, where you just, you wake up on Monday and you go, how, how is it Monday? That's what I thought last night when I was, I was prepping for the show and we were having some conversations. You and I both listened to this Theo Epstein uh, interview and, and we've actually got some thoughts on it later about the future of baseball and all I could think of when we finished the discussion was how are do we doing a show tomorrow? And then I woke up this morning and thought, did we do any shows last week? Mm-hmm. When was the last time we did a show? I thought I took maybe Friday and Thursday off of last week for a second, where I didn't, I actually couldn't figure out when it was that I took time. No. It's no, bad. The, sign, the signposts are limited. Here's mm-hmm. how I know, though. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, did I drink a beer? It's like, well, that didn't, doesn't di- differentiate that's a, weekday that's from day, yeah. weekend. That's, so, okay, not yet. We haven't figured it out yet. Mm-hmm. Did I drink a lot of beers? Oh, it's like, okay. Oh, okay, yes. All right, it must be the weekend <laughs> then. That's how I know. Yeah. It's like, yeah. can I – am I seeing trails? Mm. Yes, weekend yeah. it is. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good. Remember when we used to make the time is a flat circle jokes because of True Detective and thought, yeah. hey, that's funny. But I don't yeah. really get it. Time is a flat circle. Now it's just, no, no, don't. Time is. Yeah, it is all. absolutely a flat circle. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Uh, every day is the same. Every day mm-hmm. I get a text from my father who's like, "Did you see the news? Now June second, golf courses." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, I know. You'll never golf again." No. Every day is exactly the same. Why it's... would you? You can't go outside. Don't go outside. The coronavirus is gonna get you if you go outside. There's big clouds of it. Yeah. Uh, anytime you can double down on a horrific and unanimously panned decision, you got to do it. Like, gotta do it's it. just, gotta you got to do it. It's right in front of you. It's just, it, yeah, I hear the Space Jam music like, everybody get up, it's time to jam now. And he's like, yeah, you got you to gotta get in. You got to go in for the dunk. Slam it home, doggy. Like, way to go. You're crushing it. So the only real benchmark of sports I have right now for time is Blue Jays, I got to say, too, because the Leafs are in this weird period where I'm watching these games and, and I'm, I, I'm, I've never cared less. I've never cared less about Toronto Maple Leafs games. I watch them as though they're my children and I go, nobody get hurt. Everybody just have fun out there, you know? Orange slices in the intermission and just nobody hurt anybody. Everybody love everybody. That's all I'm watching these games and I'm kind of loosely I care more about Marley's games because that's where Freddie Anderson is right now. I care more about practice reports than the actual games because I want to know where Nick Foligno's at because he's skating on his own for whatever that's worth. I guess I'll ask Bourne today if that's an anything. I have no idea if that's a positive indicator. I guess it's better than not skating by yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's better than limping off the ice mm-hmm. gingerly, being carried by two large yeah. human beings. Yeah, that's, He's skating. That's good. Yeah. What are you talking about? That's and a good, good sign. I have to believe that both Hyman and Nash are ready to rock and roll, and that we're probably going to see Nash, what, Wednesday? You would think that he's going to get in there Wednesday and give yeah. him two games of runway before they jump into the playoffs. So I guess I'm interested in that. Although Engvall, this is so weird. Engvall played, I thought, pretty well, especially penalty killing. On Saturday night, but I also look at it and say, I I, I really don't know what I'm supposed to take away from these. One, because I'm paying attention. I'm half paying attention. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. I'm trying to watch. I'm trying to formulate takes for this show, okay? I'm trying to care, but I think that when you force yourself to have opinions, that's when you start to be lame. That's when you start to be the shows that you and I sometimes there's just a game that 
is irrelevant for both teams uh-huh. and slightly less so for the Montreal Canadiens, but they're in. Like, literally, Calgary has to win every single game. Yeah. They have to pick up the full two points, and the Montreal Canadiens cannot pick up a single point or else it's, it's actually mathematically yeah. over for them. So it doesn't matter for either team. What you said is correct, that the Maple Leafs want to get through these final games of the regular season without injury. The, the whole idea of got to play your playoff style during the regular season, establish those habits, it's over. They did that. Like, if you don't do that, the final two meaningless games in the regular season does not take away from the body of work that you've had throughout the course of the regular season. It's being disingenuous to put a little extra emphasis on anything that's happening here when Pierre Engvall is doing like a fadeaway wrist shot along the ice that's getting to the back of the net and he's scored in three straight games. Yeah. That's, that's, I guess I'm just having trouble evaluating the bottom of the roster because part of me goes well for those guys it's most important because there's less separating them so whoever's going well you want to put in but then I also think but is this replicating any kind of a playoff form it's my Galchenyuk question right right which is when you put in a guy like Alex Galchenyuk whose career is on the line essentially and you put him in with good players in a season where there's less urgency are you getting a true representation of what that guy is going to be able to do for you in the playoffs when you need the Tavares and Nylander pairing to be playing heavy minutes against top-end competition that will inevitably end up with some relatively decent frequency in your own end? And how does that pan out once you actually get to those difficult and high-intensity games? We're going to find out, right? We're going to find out. And it's the same thing with the bottom six guys, where if you're trying and maybe the other guys aren't trying as much... How is this going to translate to the postseason? And I, and I got to believe that that's a really, really difficult question for the coaching staffs and that the stuff that they are evaluating is not simply the things that we're seeing in these games and sure. that these are not necessarily the tryouts that we think that they, that they might be. So the Leafs clinched the division. I think it's the first time since 2000, right? right. Yep. Only like the second time in like since 1930 mm-hmm. – because there were not divisions in the 60s when they finished at the top of the NHL. This has just not happened for this franchise that has 100 years of history. It's funny because I look at this year as incredibly important. I know other Canadian fan bases are trying to diminish it, and it's true that if, if Toronto wins this division and then limps out in the first round of the playoffs, even the second round, honestly, like, that's yes. just the way it feels. But first round is is just this unbelievable disaster that is is going to. I, I don't even know. I don't even want to think about the ripple effect of that because it's just it's horrible, horrible, horrible. But I think this division is more important for bragging rights than any other year in my life, where the Leafs finish first, and if they can get out of these out of this Canadian bubble and end up being the representatives in the conference final. That it is something that Leafs fans, regardless of if they get swept in four games to Tampa Bay or to whoever ends up, Boston, whatever, Carolina, it doesn't matter. They get there, and it's bragging rights for from now until another Canadian team either beats the Leafs in the playoffs or wins the Stanley Cup. That's how significant it is to me. And, and I know Canadian fans are diminishing that right now, but... You cannot tell me if you're a fan of another fan base that you're not living in fear that the Leafs get out of this division. And I know this because every single one of my friends that isn't a Leafs fan keeps doing the thing of, we'll see in the playoffs, we'll see in the playoffs, and Leafs are always a regular season team. And I'm like, kind of, not really, but whatever. They just won the division for the first time since 2000, so it's kind of a weird thing to say, but sure. We're going to neglect the fact that they pushed Boston to two game sevens, that they pushed Washington. Despite being inferior teams in all three and underdogs in all three series. Right. The only real disappointment was Columbus. And there was no doubt that was a big, big, big disappointment. That team sucked. That team stunk. They lost to David Ayers. They were listless. They had problems that we all saw throughout the regular season that cropped up in the final series, which wasn't even the playoffs. Right? It's, it's important to remember that that was not even a playoff series. This is a completely different team. Expectations are through the roof. They got to get this. However, 
the actual just division itself right now didn't really matter to me. When I saw people kind of pushing that around, I went, okay, well, if there's anything that actually is an asterisk, it's that. Get Like, winning the division, quote-unquote, only is relevant if you win in the playoffs. Like, could you imagine ever looking at this with any semblance of pride as a Leafs fan if they get knocked out in one of the first two rounds? No, okay, and I actually even saw some people talking about how the Raptors have Atlantic Division banners hanging at Scotiabank Arena. Those are infinitely and, more valuable to me than what this would be if the Leafs lose in the playoffs. They are. They are, but even those, after you win a championship, I almost want to take those down. Like, it's almost kind of embarrassing, and, and especially no. now at the, no, the lack that, of meaning. Really? Who even knows who's in the division? Who's even in the You're division? Brutal. It's no big You're no. brutal. Those are benchmarks of like real success sure, that were fun sure. teams. The NBA, if you yeah. to, to win those divisions mm-hmm. and to have not had one of the best 15 players in the NBA, like you can parse with where Kyle Lowry was at the time, but the idea that like did he make any All NBA teams during that stretch? Uh, I think no. I think DeRozan made a third All NBA team during one season. Like. Get out of here with it's that. It's fine. It's That's fine. An incredible accomplishment. Consi- no, yeah, it, yes, it was, and it's a fine thing. Like I'm actually, I don't expect them to take the banners down, but they do look a little bit different when you are winning your conference, when you're getting to a finals, when you're winning a championship. It's like, oh yeah, look at all those Atlantic Division crowns. How many so do- Atlantic Division? Uh, merchandise champions do you have? Do you have a, a But Atlantic it's not baseball. You're looking champion? at it through your baseball brain. No I'm one not. cares about those. They're just hanging up in a stadium, and they're basically steps towards that championship, and they look like, hey, look, this was the progression of these things, and look, these were the cool seasons that you want to remember. Hey, you should remember the teams that win a division. The thing is with the asterisky nature of this one is that you only beat – uh, a few other teams, most of which were bad. So if it, and if so you if lose was... in the first round or you lose in the second round, oh, it's boy. a real indicator of a huge failure. The other ones are not. They're real accomplishments of those banners don't hang because you as a fan should walk around and go, hey, the Raptors were 2016 Atlantic champions. It's that when you go to the stadium and you get to go back to games and you see those things hanging in the, in the, from the rafters, you remember, hey, that was cool Tw- 20 years from now when you're separated it from it, how we had those Patrick Patterson, should he be a starter and can he be a starter debates. We, it was cool to have those, like that Lou Williams season where it felt like at the end of every game or halftime they gave him the ball and he basically took two steps over half court and then decided to try to draw a foul or take a big time three. Or having Gravis Vasquez talk about uh, his stones. You know, like I, I love those teams. And, and the disappointment in the end... That. Yes. No, the disappointment in the end is obvious with some of them, but the fact that you could be disappointed is great. It means you felt something about those teams. No, I'm serious. You're being too jaded with that. I don't like I'm that not, take whatsoever. You don't even let me, I want that lance. You Scratch even, those takes from the show. What? Do you, uh, like, what is even... You're, you're not even listening to me. Yes, I you're, am. You you're, said, you're putting all these takes on me that I haven't yeah. said. All I've said is that in <laughs> retrospect, the Atlantic Division titles look lame when you win a title. No, they don't. Especially no, considering how little winning a division means in the NBA now. It used to be that you I got disagree. at least a top three seed in your yep. in your conference. Not not the case anymore. I don't anymore. think it's lame. I All don't right. think it's so lame. I if, think it's if super the cool. Leafs, if the Leafs had won the division last year, would you have been advocating to put up the division banner at Scotia? Or yes. not last year because it's a shorter, shortened season. Of but course. Because they got to play everybody, you would have said, put up the, Atla- the, uh, the East Atlantic Division banner. Yes. That would have been okay. awesome. I would have loved that. Dude, are you kidding me? You think that as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan who genuinely – when I was – year 2000, I was, I think, in grade 8. Mm-hmm. Like – I'm a, a baby at that point. We just talked about what a 13-year-old looks like a couple of days ago. You don't think that I would want them to hang a banner that would show that they had a good season when they don't have them like that since I was a so preteen? So then why not this year? So why not because, this year? No, that's what I'm saying. Because this year, the actual division in the regular season has not really mattered. And if they got bounced in the first or the second round, having that banner up there would be a reminder of one well. of the worst moments in straight up in franchise history that's what this that's what we're looking at here this is the swing you're looking at a swing between the greatest things that have happened since those 2000s teams since Cujo was here since Ed Belfort was mm-hmm. shutting down Ottawa Senators players and Patrick Lean was letting in squeakers or what you're watching is the greatest failure of this organization no doubt in the salary cap era and beyond so- that so in the before four times when you won your division, you played a wild card team. So it was not 
Yeah. Like the playoffs didn't impact whether you won the division or not. It was an entirely regular season thing. This year you play the first two rounds within your division. How about yeah. they win those those two rounds and whatever happens, say they bow out before winning a Stanley Cup. Yeah, then How you about hang then, it and it's a point for then, Yes. Okay, then you can do it. Oh, because dude, then it's if that's what yeah. I'm saying. If the if the Leafs win out, as in yeah. get out of the North Division, you hang that banner and it is a I'm like people are going to be so mad about this and other uh, fan bases are going to take this and whatever. If it gets taken out of context, I don't particularly care. It's obviously not a Stanley Cup, but it's as close as you can possibly get to one. It matters way more. You yeah. think that Vegas, so like Vegas having the President's Trophy this year, mm-hmm. right? And who cares about that? That's nothing. If you could get the opportunity to hang a President's Trophy banner, like versus getting to say, hey, other Canadian teams never forget that when we all played each other, when we were all on the same playing field, the Leafs whooped your ass. And that they got out. They had the most points in the regular season. They whooped up on all the teams because what's the records? It's something like every single one of the teams that they played that are going to be in the playoffs, they have a stark winning record and a goal difference. Yeah, the only against, team right? they don't is Vancouver. I Vancouver, think. They just right. have like one one win over 500 right. against Vancouver. Nope. Everybody else they've smashed. Every Everybody else they've smashed. Everybody else there's a gap. So if they go into the postseason, they beat Montreal in five or six games because that's really my expectation. And then they get into a round where they beat Connor McDavid or the Jets, but right now it feels like it's going to be McDavid Matthews in round two. Then, yeah, you hang that banner and it's. Oh, it's so good. It's just, it's a great banner. I want that banner badly. I want that banner not as much as I want it to be paired with the Stanley Cup. If you won the Stanley Cup, I would want them to hang the banner right next to the Stanley Cup banner because, like I've said before, it's two cups. Yeah, well, that's what they do in baseball, right? Yeah, because you yeah. win your division, you get both up there. And yeah. the Blue Jays did in 92 and 93. They got an American League East banner, and they get a World Series banner uh, mm-hmm. in both those years. So I think that's definitely on the table. Yes, okay. but I would not I would not in retrospect. And I love how it's there's no rules with these banners, right? Like teams no. can do whatever they want. So the Leafs, in theory, could go out in the second round to the Oilers, raise uh, a Canadian division banner, mm-hmm. and then the Oilers could win that second round series, also raise yeah. a North division banner. Because no. there's no rules. It's the Wild West in Bannerland. If if the Leafs lost in either of the first two rounds and they hung a banner for the North Division win, it would be more embarrassing than the, the Bon Jovi banner. It would jump yeah. over the Bon the Jovi Colts? banner. What was the Colts no, banner the Colts, again? The, the Colts, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like... It was like, won a game. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like it, wild card participants or something. No. Wild card weekend participants. No, they stuck it up there because they were trying to say to the Patriots that, like, hey, this is your asterisk a year because it was Deflategate. Right. So it was whatever round they were in, they hung the banner that they were in that round. But I still think Bon Jovi is more embarrassing. Yes. Like then the Colts they took thing. it down uh, covertly too. Once they didn't yeah. get the NFL franchise, yeah. they're like, "Oh yeah, we were yeah, yeah trying to crease the." Skids I just there. picture them raising that like, "It's my life," and they're like, "This is great. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is gonna boy. go over so well." I'll never forget seeing that whenever I was there with friends and family and looking at it and going, mm. and then asking for the explanation and me just going, "I don't really know." Like I guess they really liked Bon Jovi and he was here a lot and that's the thing about Bon Jovi is he's around I guess somewhere in the upstate. He had a lot York. of money and he yeah. we thought we were gonna team up with him <laughs> yeah. and bring an NFL franchise to the city. Yeah, we, we were really just trying to suck it. up. We were trying to suck up real hard to Bon Jovi. Okay. Oh, there he is. Um, so two games this regular season remaining for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. You got one on Wednesday. You got one on Friday. And then maybe the playoffs start early next week. Maybe late next week, though, because the Flames and Canucks got to play these games that are likely meaningless, but they got to wrap them up. Who knows if the playoffs start um, before those games are concluded. But let's talk to uh, Justin Bourne, our pal. It's a Monday. What's going on? Not too much. Not too much. I I can't believe they have to play those hockey games. Like Calgary and Vancouver's really going to do this, are they? They got to, I guess. I mean, you got to put the statistics in in on the hockeyreference.com, I suppose. I don't know. I, I can't imagine what the viewership will be if, in fact, they do start the playoffs opposite it. Like on, what, it's, it's the 17th is the Monday. There's some reports that they will start it on the Monday. I can't imagine what Canucks fan, what Flames fan is so self-hating that they would watch those games midweek when there's actual playoff games happening. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, what would, like, just take the points percentage or whatever. I just, seeing this through as, uh, I guess it's easier for statistics or sponsors or, I don't know, it just seems like an awful thing. Can you imagine if you get hurt in that game and you spend your summer in, like, a cast or something? <laughs> the resentment you would feel? Mm. <laughs> just play the games, all right? It's just play the games. It's the two games, and you guys stunk. This is nobody's fault but your own. Play the games, finish off your season, make good on your sponsorship dollars and your television commitments, and just get it done. All right? Like, how's that? Yeah, how's that? Mr. Corporate over yeah. here is yeah. like, yeah, you got to go right. through a couple of things here. It's so not what? like they did it to themselves. So did the Stars. So did a lot of teams. Just, like, finish up the season. Like, this was always part of the, the ball game was, hey, some teams are going to get COVID. It's going to make us have to adjust things. And when we have to adjust them, it might mean a bit of a longer season. Like, this was always on the table. I, it, what what would have been interesting, really, though, is if those two teams would have, like, if they would, it would have essentially sounded like the NBA's version of the play-in game if they mattered, right? Like, if there was something in there where we were watching it for stakes, how right. interesting it could have been. And all it really made me feel, and a lot of what this last week has actually made me feel, watching just how futile Calgary's chances are and all this stuff and stuff is how fun the North Division would have been had it just been a little bit more competitive. Just like it was so close. It was right there. I loved this division, but if there's one knock on it, it was just that like these results were inevitable for so freaking long. You know what blows my mind is that if you put like a bunch of bad teams in the same division and not saying that's a North Division, but if you did that, mm -hmm. inevitably some bad team would end up looking good you would think and not one but like at least a couple you just by sheer they, they play each other someone has to be the best of the bad groups and I can't believe there's not a second team I can talk myself into you cannot talk me into the Edmonton Oilers cannot do it you can't so like if you want to say the Leafs are maybe overinflated because of the division fine but like yeah. I can't believe I think six teams out of seven are bad <laughs> like, I don't know it's just you would have thought someone would have won enough to sell me yeah, I won't go with they're all bad, but I would say this: they're not good. Like, yeah, okay, that's say. that's that's what I mean. Then they're not. But, good. Let's yeah. do that. Well, it's not good though to the point where when Ben and I were talking about the division and we had this debate as to whether or not you should hang a banner about winning the North Division regardless of the outcome of the postseason, and I said absolutely not because if they hung a banner and lost in either the first or the second round, it yeah. would be a eternal reminder of what I believe to be one of the most disappointing things in franchise history. And it's what's wild to me is that, and I don't know if this is your guys' experiences or not. Like, I guess born more specifically, this question is for you. But what, so I have a lot of friends who are Habs fans and like, they really believe that this series is going to be very, very close. Like that, that it could go either way. I, and, and, <laughs> like, really? What? I'm not saying, no, I'm dead serious. Like, I have fans who believe the things about how the Leafs are not built for the playoffs or whatever, that they're going to get Gallagher back or whatever. They Here truly, truly deep. skating right now. But this is, this is what I'm saying about the rest of the division is like, Bourne, is, is your general sentiment, because again, you interact, I think, a little bit more with like hockey Twitter and have, uh, you know, a lot of people around the game. Like, my, again, my feeling is, is that. Truly, if Toronto doesn't win against Montreal in five games, six max, that I, I, I'm I, like, if they go to a game seven, I, I don't know how I'm going to deal with that going into that that game and, and the feelings I'm going to have. It would be a disaster. There's a huge yeah. gap. The goal differential for the Leafs, I think Montreal is minus seven and Leafs are plus forty two. Yeah, <laughs> like they're not. They shouldn't be on the same planet. I think the Leafs are have the best goal differential of five on five in the NHL at this point. Right. Um, so, you know, because hockey's stupid, I'll throw out the quick caveats of like, yeah, Montreal won some postseason games yes. last year. And, sure. you know, it, it happens every year, yada, yada. And Montreal certainly has the weird type of horses where it could happen. Solid decor can get good goaltending, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. All that stuff, fine. Yes, but of no. course, it could happen. I'm saying if it does it happen, that still makes it a disaster. Disaster. Like, like Columbus disaster. beat 
Columbus beat Tampa Bay in the playoffs because it can happen. But yeah. did Tampa Bay fans look at that and go like, wow, that Whatever. wasn't a disaster. Right. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it would be a total, total disaster. This whole yeah. year has been about how this this is such a soft division. They should, you know, sashay on through to the, uh, you know, what used to be the conference final, I guess the league semifinal now. But yeah, no, utter disaster. The, the Leafs have... Zero excuses. They should be healthy. Um, just looking at the way things are setting up to head into round one. Um, so I've talked to a couple people today. My understanding of what's going to happen is Freddie Anderson is going to come back and play for the Toronto Maple Leafs in a regular season game, maybe two, before the end of the season. That, because of salary cap um, you know, ramifications, means that they won't be able to bring back Hyman and Nash. So Hyman and Nash will rest until the playoffs. That could mean that maybe Riley Nash goes to the Marlies. He'd be eligible for the same thing that uh, Freddie just was uh, to get his legs under him a little bit, which I think is a good idea. So I think things shape up for the Leafs to be healthy in round one and have all their horses, and that eliminates all the excuses. So, yes, total disaster. Well, yeah, and then they have uh, a week off before the start of postseason. You just drop that bomb on us that uh, you think Anderson's going to play in maybe yeah. 50%, if not 100% of these final two games to wrap up the season. Uh, the Hyman thing's interesting because I guess that means he has to go on LTIR then because he's not there right now. Yeah, I, I guess that's the, the, the corresponding move they'd have to make. I just think they want Freddie – they have to know what they're dealing with going in. Like right now, I don't think we know who we want to start – Game one. Do you guys have a firm opinion on that? Because I have opinions, but not Jack. a firm one that's this guy or the other. No, it's firm that it's Jack. And um, I still believe deep down that the Leaf ceiling is higher with Freddie Anderson at his best than Jack Campbell at his best. I just do. I just think that there's also an element of... I re I'm sorry, but to me, it's a little personal just from this standpoint. Freddie Anderson got driven into the ground by the Maple Leafs over his tenure as, as the Leafs goaltender, and he was mostly really, really good. And recency bias has made this fan base look at him as though he is some kind of a pariah, despite, like, look at what his save percentages were the last two years in the playoffs. Like, of course, he has let in some bad goals. There's just no question about it. But I, I can't think of something that's less satisfactory to me than the idea of Freddie Anderson not even being given an opportunity to change his narrative in this city, to be given a chance to really win a playoff series again and like go into a series where they're favored. I know they were favored against Columbus, right. but again, that wasn't playoffs and it was such a weird time and he played mostly very, very well. He let in one bad goal in that series. I think his save percentage was like, what, 930 or something ridiculous like that? And just because Columbus got this tandem goaltender group that played unbelievably well that people look at it and say, well, he was outplayed. And it's like, okay, fine, but was he one of the worst 20 players in that series for the Leafs? No, I would actually say that he was one of their best five. So it just feels so icky to me. Like, it just yeah. feels gross that that guy would not get a chance in a series where he would be favored. But at this point, Jack Campbell really had a couple of games where he did not look like uh, a starting goaltender or where he kind of looked a bit shaky. And after that, he settled in, and he started to do a lot of the things that we said to for Jack Hamill to do, which was stop being so reactionary to the media, have a little bit more composure. He let in a bad goal on Saturday, so it's like, yeah. again, it's the bad goalie police that do everything for Freddie, but not really the same way for Jack. But at this point, I think that Jack sort of has to lose the net. Like, he's earned it. He's earned it with spectacular play down the stretch, and, and that has to mean something more than rolling the dice on a guy who is still you know, working his way back and has not... Po I, I know it's a hard standard to say, should Freddie Anderson be posting shutouts in the AHL after months off, but yeah, I'm sorry, but like, he let in... I, I watched his highlights, and some of the goals that he's let in so far down at the AHL level have not looked great. He finally got a full game under his belt. If he plays phenomenally well in these two games to the Leafs, I think it creates more of a discussion. But right now, to me, it's it's a, like it's not even a debate. It's just conclusively Jack Campbell. Yeah, and that's 
that for me is why I'm really I'm glad he's going to get more games. I needed them to be uh, in, either in the American League or NHL. I just need them to be. I need to see him play more games because you know, the case that Freddie would make, you say this season, you know, he kind of lost the net to Campbell or whatever. Like I think he would make the case that he was hurt. You know, yeah, like that he was playing injured and he didn't have the pop to push like he wanted to. And you know, we we saw that reflected in his play. But I think that would be a frustration for him that you know Campbell would come in on this you know, comparatively stacked Leafs team in a comparatively soft division all of a sudden come in and, you know, be the, the superhero for this team. I'm with you that it, it wouldn't feel right not to give Freddie a little bit of run. So for me, you know, if he gets in three or four games, he's been in two. If he plays three or four games and he, he looks pretty good in the next one, you can talk me into Freddie for sure. It, it, but it would depend on his performance in those couple of games. And I'd... It, it doesn't mean he gives up two goals and they're fluky ones. I don't think he should play. Like, you know, in talking to people around the Marlies, it sounds like he is, you know, good spirits and energetic and feels healthy and like he's kind of ready to ready to rock and roll here and to to kind of take things back again. So, it's I'm glad there's a couple of games to make this decision because it's not an easy one. I understand how good Campbell has been, but I'm with you. I do feel like their ceiling is higher with Freddie. I like that he hasn't played as much, so maybe there's not as much wear on this guy. If he goes in a series and, I, you know, they get through the series with Freddie and Ned, all of a sudden he's got four or five games under his belt and he's uh, and he's healthier than he's ever been. Man, I would love that for the Leafs. And that, to me, positions, positions them best for a cup. Uh, it can't be game one, though. To me, that's Rob Johnson, Doug Flutie stuff, if it's if it's game one at this point, because you've seen enough from Jack Campbell that you have to at least give him the shot. And everybody that we've talked to, it's almost like it's not even a decision anymore that, that Jack Campbell has done enough to earn that job for, for game one. And what is also true is that I think even in this opening series against Montreal, and especially if it's short, like especially if the Leafs look like they should look against the Montreal Canadiens and maybe there's a back-to-back between, I don't know, games three and four or four and five, that he's, you're going to see him. Like you're going to see both goalies. That, like that is just, that's the truth, but it can't be game one. It's just it's it. There's, I I I hear what you guys are saying, and there's a lot of validity to it. But it's just no. But I'm with you, Ben. I'm with you that it has to be game one, Jack, and that like if I'm just what would looking it take at from Freddie? What would it take from Freddie? Nothing. He, play, he plays Nothing. the next two games and he pitches two shutouts. Who cares? These games well, are meaningless. I, no, no. Hold on, though. I will say that if he plays both of the next two games. That would be a little interesting to me just from the standpoint of I'd be like, so what, Jack Campbell doesn't play for two weeks? Right. Like that. So I actually do think that if Freddie Anderson gets the net for both games, that that would start to spark a debate where I would go, oh, my God. If Freddie Anderson just gets the net in the final game of the season or if he gets Ottawa or whatever, however they they divvy these things up, if he gets both of them, I, I would be on high alert if I was Jack Campbell because I'd be thinking, what, like, I, I... I need two weeks. Like I need a game, but in two weeks, yeah. that seems kind of fair to me. So that would be tricky. I just, I think that you have to give it to Jack because when you're looking at all things being equal, as much as the Freddie Anderson potential thing is very much there, and I believe it to be true, um, Jack Campbell's been better this year. Like that's it. That's all it comes down to for me. Is like, hey, who's been better this year? There was a, a stretch where Freddie I thought played really, really well, and people were not giving him his due. But then he played poorly, and he can say it was an injury or whatever, but the overall body of work of the season is that Jack Campbell had a better year than Freddie Anderson, and he has done it more recently, and this team has been preparing for the playoffs and looking like a playoff team in front of Jack Campbell. So at this point, for you to kind of flip-flop it, especially given this also should probably be in the mix too. I I know that he's a good backup, and he's a good guy, and he's rooting for Freddie, and all these things that like guys like Mike Feudis say who know him. I I got to have some belief that... The psyche of a guy like Jack Campbell would be rattled quite intensely if after all of this he gets taken out for game one and they put in Freddie Anderson after like over a month off and some AHL starts and one lifeless game against the Senators. It would just be very weird. Like I, I don't think sports are supposed to work that way almost. Yeah, you know, and then you kick around the idea of losing your job to injury and that's not supposed to happen right. either. But I do – Sure. You know, as – as of today, you know, we're playing a playoff game tomorrow and I'm the, the coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, I, mm-hmm. Jack Campbell's the guy. I just think there's room for Freddie 
to play well yes. in his next game, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, he's played three times. He's looked pretty good. He says he's feeling well. He's been – he was meant to be the starter. You know, I, I would have some – so, to Ben, to your point, it would be interesting to look at their round one schedule and say, mm-hmm. when does Freddie get in? Like, we're going to go with Jack, but can we start him in game three? Maybe – Maybe even if Jack Campbell plays well in game one, you just go with Freddie in game two, and you try to be all these other teams that are that are trying to move on with goaltending tandems rather than you know starter situations, which I generally I just think the stakes are so high. The stakes are just so high, though, that mm-hmm. like if Sheldon Keefe, who I, and who I want to talk about on this like this episode, I want to talk about Keefe today because I, I actually had a, a few thoughts about him I wanted to bounce off of you. But if he, if the Leafs won a game and Jack Campbell played well, and then he put Freddie Anderson in net and the Leafs lost, I, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think Kyle Dubas fires him if they lose that series because they're boys, and I think they are kind of a, a tandem deal at this point for the next little while. Like, it would be a hard departure. It would be like Brian Burke firing Ron Wilson, and then it's like, yeah, but you're kind of on your way out now too. You know, like, hey, this is not. You're not getting a lot of wiggle room here, but you fired your best guy, your your best friend. Um, I I just think that's like your entire legacy in this city forever. Like you got to win a Stanley Cup the next season, Sheldon Keefe, or that's what only you're going to be remembered as is the guy who tinkered with the goaltending situation and put in the guy who was cold. Like it's just even if he thinks it's best, it's so risky. And I have to believe that at some baseline level, coaches and GMs care about that stuff. Well, it's a really unique aspect of being a coach in Toronto is that Mm -hmm. the noise can be so loud from the media, it can dictate events happening. Mm -hmm. And say what you will, ask Brian Burke. When he fired Ron Mm -hmm. Wilson, the fans were chanting, fire Wilson. He said he couldn't bring him back to that that crowd. You know, it made a difference. So, you know... I think it's an element you have to consider in Toronto is like, how is this going to be perceived if it does and if it doesn't work? But at the end of the day, when you, you know, light your fire and smoke your corn cob pipe by yourself, <laughs> that's how I imagine Sheldon Keith at the end of the night. Um, you know, He's you have a to, hobbit? <laughs> <laughs> you have to feel like you gave your team the best chance to win every yeah. night. And if he feels like it's yeah. Freddie, you, you got to do it. I guess... Um... At some point, this is going to come up. If Freddie Anderson's healthy, it's going to come up. And I do believe that it's much like Columbus last year where one bad game can knock you out of the net. Or like other teams more recently where, you know, you can... I think there is the scenario where Jack Campbell and the Leafs win is if he lets in a four-goal night to Montreal and at least win 5-4, I think that there's a chance Freddie Anderson gets the net in the following game, right? Like there are scenarios, especially given Montreal's goaltending prowess and all this stuff. I just don't think that there's anything that can happen between now and then that gives Freddie Anderson game one. I think there's a good chance Freddie Anderson ends up being the starting goaltender down the stretch of the playoffs. I just, game one to me is essentially a non-starter given all of the different parameters of this thing. But all I would say to people who are like, oh, but it has to be Jack, and like, I don't want to see Freddie Anderson there. Clearly they're thinking about it because, man, they traded for Riley Nash, who has not played a game with the Leafs who the Leafs owe nothing to, who they gave up a seventh-round pick for and who has not skated again in a hockey in a National Hockey League or a Marlies game for Toronto. And most fans agree that you want to put Riley Nash in at some point because the ceiling is higher with Nash, right? And the stakes are not as high. He's not a goaltender. He's a third-line center. But that's still pretty important. <laughs> and people act like that's a nothing proposition when it's like put Riley Nash in. How many people do you know have Nash down in pen essentially right now, Right. Most. Would you not say that most? (laughs) You have it in blood. Yeah, I have. I'm kind of torn on it, actually. Uh, But I'm just saying that the logic has to be applied to Freddie Anderson in the same way that it is to Nash, in at least some, in some morsel of a way. Do we lose? Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing that you know with forwards up front is like, there's going to be turnover there. The Leafs feel really Mm -hmm. good about their depth. I think they feel like they're 15 guys deep. You know, and maybe that's true, maybe it's not. I, I feel like guys are going to get in, and there is some threat of being pulled out even after the team wins if they don't like how you played. Like, Nash is going to get in. I, You know, if, if Campbell goes in and, all right, so he's on a tear, 
you know, great numbers in the first round. They sweep Montreal and they headed to round two and he loses a start or two. You know, you, you just create these problems of like, okay, well, he's been wonderful. Is he not allowed to lose a game or two? Or are we going to, you know, ride Jack Campbell now, win or lose? It's just, ah, man, it's, it's, you have to make more of a decision with Freddie. I feel like the Nash thing is going to play itself out. You know, whoever's going to play well is going to play. Everyone's going to get in. This, this one just feels like a harder choice because it's a choice. It's not going to organically solve itself. All right, so you're Mr. Plugged In today, um, Bourne. So you you said that, yeah, Anderson's going to play one of these games, and the post-game comments after that Marley's uh, shootout loss was kind of interesting where he said, yeah, it'd be sure nice to get into an NHL game. But, like, do you think the plan is changing on the fly here because they are realizing that Anderson would really like to be in these games and that maybe if they had their druthers, he wouldn't, and that they would give the Riley Nashes of the world a chance instead of him in these NHL games and, and they wouldn't put Hyman on LTIR? I think probably what's happened here is Freddie is ahead of schedule in terms of where they thought he would be at this point. Like he, he could probably play. Well, he could. He could play an NHL game tonight if you know in terms of health. So I don't know when they thought he would be ready, but he he got back early enough and got skating. And I think there is some risk of frustrating him and alienating him because of what they tried to do with the salary cap. So. Part of me just thinks that there there was not exactly a blueprint, but like let's see where we're at towards the end of the season, see who's healthy and, and what we need to do. And they're at a point here where Freddie feels like he's ready to go and deserves his chance. So I think this is a matter of not burning that relationship with Freddie. Well, CJ has texted us, and I'm sorry, CJ, if you think that this was supposed to be off the record, but it's on the record because we're talking right now. So I'm just assuming I don't have your permission. You better text right away, right now, right now. He says that the most recent version of the playoff schedule, which could change, has games three and four on a back-to-back nights. So there you go. It, he's going to play. Like, mm-hmm. and he was always going to play. And I always believed that he would play in the first round, barring again a Ed Belfour level performance by Jack Campbell, where the Leafs somehow are. <laughs> getting the ice tilted their way and he's making save after save after save and he looks phenomenal and the group is rallying around him. protect both bodies too. Both yeah. guys oh. need yeah, protecting. True. Yeah, I I just, yeah, I think Freddie Anderson's going to get in and I think that, yes, the bar, let's just put it this way. I don't think that the bar is extremely high for him to steal the starter's job back. That's the way I would put it. I, I don't think that he has to step in and have a shutout and... They, you know, to to steal this job. I, I think that they're going to be more than willing the because playoffs, they, I mean. yeah, I think that they believe internally a lot of the things that we are saying, which is that he is the higher ceiling guy and that you want to have him ready for whatever series eventually, right? Like you want to have him going and you want to have Jack Campbell in the role that he was meant to play. The, I, I think we've done a lot on this. Have we, have we hit everything? Have we covered everything? Or does <laughs> yeah. anybody have any final thought on this? Nah. I didn't nope, think we were going to start with this today, to be honest, even though it did come through and Bourne breaks the news and all of that different stuff. But I, I think maybe we should take a break um, and then come back and, and then we'll kind of reset. And I'll ask you about Keith defense, and then hopefully we can get a, a little bit on Sandine and Kessel because I have thoughts on them today as well. Cool? Beautiful. All right. Yep. That all right. sounds good. Let's take a break. That's good shows. Leaf Sour, uh, Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, Justin Bourne on a Monday, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good shows, Lee Sauer, J.D. Bunkus, Sportsnet Ben. And it's Monday, so bring in Justin Bourne. Did I say Sportsnet Ben again? Yeah, I don't know. I was like, that's my name now? Like, it's a, it's a No, I just, handle. I'm so used to throwing to your Twitter and trying to promote your socials. First name, I'm not Sportsnet. Guy. Last name, not Ben. <laughs> Why don't you just do that, though? Why don't you just change it? Yeah. I'd have to change my son's names, too, I think. It would no, be, you wouldn't. Really kind of <laughs> They're not in media. Like. You think that all media people who change their names, of which there are plenty, change their family and children's names? Yeah. I kind of, yeah. There was a time there I wish where I changed my, my name. I do. Mm. Because, yeah, I, got, I used to get a lot of Enos before Ennis became more part of the culture. I don't get that as much now. The that, like, culture. There's a bunch of t- part yeah, of there's the a lot culture. of t- James Ennis and Tyler Ennis's. There's Tennis's all over the place. JD, you got to start going by, by Janice to stand out. I don't think so. I don't think that's a really good idea by you. Um, <laughs> oh, you okay. Well, that's be, a fair assessment. You will not be my agent. I actually was given, like, so when I first started doing this, I did a hit for ESPN. And I, like, my first, like, paid gig was I got to cover a Seahawks-Bills game here. And 
I was a paid stringer for ESPN radio. And I finished that interview and they were like, Hey, so do you think you're going to go full name change? I was like, I just can't, I couldn't do it because I wanted to like, I I feel like representing your name and your family and all this stuff is like important. So I didn't want to be like a, Max Jones or something, you know, like, I don't know. I just thought it was like, <laughs> I thought amount of Jones. Well, I was like, there's max power was where I was going with it. I was yes. like, I was like, yeah, do max power. I was like, but max yeah. power would have been good. Actually it would have really worked. And I was like, no. And I would have had to sell it. Like, no, that's actually my name. How crazy is that? That, that yeah. Simpsons episode came out and I'm actually max power. <laughs> no, you should have uh, stolen <laughs> Billy Duke, who has the greatest name ever works at sports. Yeah. And you should have just grifted his name. And I do think it's already <laughs> an affront to your family that you didn't go by Giannis and that you're JD. I think you've already done it. You've you've, yeah. you've insulted your family enough. Go by yeah. Giannis. No, yeah, I really insulted them by keeping both my names with both my grandfathers, which is why I like to do it. Anyways, moving off of this. So <laughs> I wanted to talk about Sheldon Keith today. I thought it was really important to kind of outline this, which is the season is basically done. I think the Leafs season is over. Like these are scrimmages, and I'm sorry, they're just keep guys healthy games and blah, 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 blah. Keith at the end of the game on Saturday was talking about the, the, the season success. And this is a quote that I thought was interesting uh, for, about why they were different this year. Quote, there are a lot of things that go into it, of course. When I look at it, I look at where our team needed to grow this season and where our focus was. We felt we really needed, oh, we felt really good about team offensively and where we were at. But we knew we had to get better defensively this season. And I don't know where we were last season, but we were pretty close to the bottom of the league in five-on-five goals against. This season, we are in the top five in the league. I would just put it right there, the team's commitment to defending this season, end quote. We came into this year with style points, style points, style points. Everything was about Leafs maturity and Leafs taking a step defensively and the blue line looking better and blah, 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 blah. And we get bogged down in the day-to-days of Austin Matthews chasing goal-scoring records and, you know, William Nylander debates and whether Tavares is going to live up to contract expectations and whether the Leafs have the right guy in that, all these different things. And ultimately, the same thing all year was true, that they were consistently a much, much better team defensively. And I, I had two thoughts on it. One is are we overlooking the amount of credit Sheldon Keefe should be getting in this conversation? Because part of it, I feel like, is always going to be diminished by the strength of schedule. But two, how much credit should also be given to the leadership structure? Because when we were criticizing John Tavares, a lot of people were saying, yeah, but he's playing very differently this year, and look at his underlying numbers when it comes to shots against and the way that he's playing in the defensive zone. But not just John Tavares, who we at least outlined in that conversation, but also Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, which to me compromised the three true leaders of this team. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I think about uh, the Leafs and their chances of having success compared to teams that have had success in the past, and you know, I think about Ryan O'Reilly and the Blues, and you know, his role for them and Bergeron's role for the the Boston Bruins. At the end of the day, you feel like your best players, you can put them on the ice in the biggest situations, no matter where the face-off is. And for the longest time here with this Leafs core, it was like you felt that they needed some sheltering, some protecting, and you know, even going into this year, it was like, all right, we need to build a defensive line that's going to you know, play these defensive minutes. I don't feel like that anymore because Mitch Marner is a guy that gets talked about in the Selkie conversation. All we heard about Austin Matthews, aside from his goal scoring this year, was the evolution of his 200-foot game and how great he is all over the ring. And then we heard about John Tavares locking it up and the change in his defensive commitment. Suddenly, like if the Leafs are up a goal in the third period in the playoffs, you know, of some highly contested game seven, I wouldn't shudder or wince or anything if you see Tavares come over the board with Matthews and Marner or some combination there. You've got two centers, guys who can take draws. It's like those guys have changed the way we look at them. And because of that, it changes the prospects for this team in the postseason. So certainly defense is a big driver for this team now. The numbers are shocking because I can – Sheldon Keefe isn't sure. I am sure because I went back and looked at it. Five-on-five five goals. Leafs were 28th in the NHL in, in number of five-on-five five goals given up last year. They are fifth this year. That is a mammoth, mammoth leap. And I, I'm sure – absolutely. What you're saying, Bourne, is correct that there's been a lot of internal improvement amongst the fours and the team defense. They have really – done a pretty good job of remaking that blue line as well. And TJ Brody playing almost half the game uh, instead of uh, Cody Ceci, pretty pretty epic. And Zach Well, they're deep all the way down now too, right? Like, that's it. Like, even when we get a look at Ben Hutton, I'm like, oh, that guy can actually play. 
Right. So what, where where is like the main reason for like that's a massive jump. 23 points in the standings, 5-on-5 goals given up against. Is it that internal improvement that you're talking about amongst the forwards, or is it really just, man, they were so bad on the blue line, and getting rid of Tyson Berry and Cody Ceci, like that, that is actually 23 spots in the rankings. Just such a combination uh, of all these events. You know, it, Kyle Dubas's role in this is like, when something happens, it seems like it was a given. Like, it seems like it was a given the Leafs were going to win this division this year. But, like, it would not have been impossible to have seen Joe Thornton just be too old to contribute or Wayne Simmons be over the hill and not have a step. Or, man, can you believe they brought back, you know, that dried husk of a Jason Spezza? Like, these were things that there was no guarantee these guys were going to be effective for them. You know, when you talk to Flames fans, they'll tell you TJ Brody had a bit of a Jake Gardner reputation in Calgary. You know, that, that was that yeah. there were these big brain farts and, you know, it just everything worked out with this team to go along with the aging and maturing of the core. So uh, I think it's just all a confluence of, of events. And by the way, it's not fool's gold because of all the things that people will criticize about this North Division, no one says teams can't score. No one says the Oilers can't score, the Canucks can't score. Like, there's offense in this division all around. Jets can't score. So, uh, full credit, that's real and lasting change, I would say, on the defensive side of things. God, that's such a great point. That's such a great point, yeah. Uh, But just about the offense in this division, because I think that one of the main reasons that we overlook it is because we go and say, yeah, but what are you supposed to learn in this division and this schedule and the no fans and that? Like, you basically, with everything positive that has happened this season – I, I hate to do it this way, and I don't know if I'm – it's just me. I don't think it's just me, but part of it is that you look at it and try to say, well, what are the caveats, right? Like what are the things that we have to at least keep in perspective? But no, man, you're right. That's the beauty of this team is that – or why I think I like this team so much. It doesn't feel like one thing that made them better defensively. It feels top-down and that it rippled through the entire organization where it was like – Kyle Dubas focused on it in the offseason, went out and got a guy like TJ Brody, went out and got a guy like Zach Bogosian. That, and you have to give him credit because last year he made the trade for Jack Campbell, which put them in a position where Freddie Anderson got hurt, that the goaltending could not only main, remain stable, but it remained uh, good. That their coach bought in and that they play a way where they really care about it. And he brings it up constantly and straight up like – We've said this a few times. It's weird that out of all the coaches in this market, it feels like we almost don't read Keefs enough. <laughs> like how many times I've done a <laughs> Nick Nurse quote or a random quote from Charlie Montoyo, and yet we Keith get says stuff really. Too. That's what I mean. He actually says things, and it, it's not huge news all the time, which kind of is shifting my perception on being the coach of the Leafs and the difficulty of it because I, I don't know how much we care about things coaches say as much anymore. Like, whether there's <laughs> a... I don't know. It's just something I've been sitting on for a while. Like, he'll say real, impactful stuff, and it won't get mentioned on a single show throughout an entire day that is, you know, a city mostly directed towards caring about the Leafs. But then you did. You had John Tavares, the captain of your team, say, this is something I'm going to buy into. You had Mitch Marner do it. You had Austin Matthews do it. You had your blue line more balanced. You got better goal time. Like, Find me the area of the roster where they really didn't seem like that was a big, big, big attention to detail. It wasn't just toughness. We said toughness was uh, a fluid word, right? That it was one that it people attached to a variety of different things, right? The easiest thing is to say, hey, do you punch people after they hit one of your guys or snow your goalie or do anything like that? But really, the team toughness was going to be being consistent and buying into things that help you win. And to me, like that's one of the great success stories of this season is that Toronto really did that. This core did that. The leadership group did that. And the coach and the general manager found the pieces to build around those other guys and accomplish it. Yeah, one place you can say that the division probably helps them here is it's easy to sell or easier to sell uh, something to the team when you have success. So, you know, if you're making... defensive priority which is very common for coaches but your team keeps losing giving up goals because you're just not a good enough team it's going well coach it isn't working I'm going to go get my goals doesn't matter you know like you have that early season success and say okay we're all making this buy-in and look we're winning and it makes you buy in more it makes you believe in things and stick to it more and it makes you even tougher to beat so I think some of the early season success helps sell that style of play and now they're really embodying all the things that Keith wanted them to do okay so next on the agenda Sandine out for cap reasons. So not going to play the, huge these bummer. last couple of games. Huge bummer. I, I'll just 
Like for me personally, when it comes to watching these games, there's nothing that I enjoy more in the meaningless games than watching Sandine play. He's it's just the, the area where we need more information, right? Like, yeah, yeah. it, it yeah, would be true. nice to see him for another 120 minutes. Yeah, it, it would be great. So he's going to be out, and yeah, you're right. Information, aesthetics, both of them make sense. Sandine's just my kind of defenseman where – like, my favorite kind of defenseman, if I said if I could pick any player to have had on my team in the history of hockey, it would be Chris Pronger because I just think it would be the best to have that guy, like, on your team where it was just guy rips bombs, nasty. he gives guys dirt, nasty elbows, corner, teams fear him, he's not unafraid, he's cocky, he's big, like, just the best. Like, to me, Chris Pronger is maybe my favorite player, like, that was not a Toronto Maple Leaf ever, who I would have loved, loved, loved. Like, that's my ultimate defenseman. But those guys don't really... Like, I guess Shea Weber is supposed to be the, like, placeholder for Pronger, but I don't ever feel that way watching Shea Weber as I did about Pronger. But I love the guys who, where it's like, head is always up. Decision-making is just so high level, where the passing is crisp, where it's just like he's snapping it around. Good skater, but not great skater, but just a, kind of a cerebral guy who you look at physically and say, oh, he's not that physical, but then is the kind of guy who all of a sudden, you know, backs into... Uh, it wasn't Mark Scheifele. It was uh, Blake Wheeler, Wheeler, right, where he just yeah. nails him, where he just, like, <laughs> sends Wheeler into a crumple, and he's just more physical than you give him credit for. So, yeah, I'm going to miss that. But do you think that this says anything about Sandine in that, one, they either feel so comfortable in his play that they can just take him out for two games and drop him into a playoff game, or, B, that this is actually an indicator that he is still the seventh defenseman to my chagrin? I think this this really hurts from a Toronto Maple Leafs perspective, you know, the Freddie being ready and, and needing NHL games because I think they wanted him to play these games and I think they, you know, not not need him or need to see him more, but it just we were getting to a point there where I don't know what the answer was going to be, you know, Sandine or Dermot, and I still don't exactly know the way they're leaning. You know, I I, I read. Uh, you know, so a couple articles this morning on the Leafs, you know, some assuming that, that Sandine has a spot in game one. I, to be honest, I feel like the only person who's still like, I don't know, I still think it might be Dermot. Like I, most people I think have Sandine penciled in. This may change things for Sandine a little bit that, you know, he is going to be a guy who hasn't played in a while and Dermot should be getting those minutes. I don't know if that'll affect their decision making, but I think they're bummed at how this shook out. But frankly, not bummed about the part where he's made you make this decision because that wasn't a given either when he came back this year. Yeah, I think he's playing game one. I think the idea that he was running the power play before they had to remove him from the lineup. Like, this is the number one, this is the number one defenseman on your power play right now, and it hasn't exactly been a revelation, that power play. It's still the area uh, that you're most skeptical about. It's not even the, the penalty kill because, yeah, Bourne, you've gone over it, how the, the numbers are actually a lot better and get a little bit of better goaltending earlier on the season. You aren't nearly at the place you are with the penalty kill. The power play is still the major area of need, and he's been the guy that's quarterbacking that. And then you get all the comments from Sheldon Keefe about how this is has nothing to do with performance. I think mm-hmm. they're giving us every indi- indication that he's going to be in there for game one, especially if Bogosian's still out. Like I don't even think it's a question. Right. Yeah, if Bogosian's still out, he's definitely going to be in. It's, it, it's a tough spot. Of all the people you wanted to rest heading into the postseason, it probably wasn't the uh, 21-year-old who's played 10 games this season. So it's uh, it's not ideal, but you know, he, it's not like he's going to... We saw how well he performed when he came back after a little bit of... After a little stint away there with injury recovery so you wouldn't worry about him too much you're right by the way about the power play it would have been nice to have him you know get some goals under under his belt not personally yeah. but just with that power play unit with him running it because they they haven't been they've been effective but not exactly pouring the puck in the net yet by the way do you know mitch marner has no power play goals this year zero he's got 20 goals that. this year all five yeah, on five that's intense I, did, I, I didn't know that um if How's i'm here i'm like <laughs> Well, it, I just remember there was a point in time where they were like, hey, they want to get Mitch Marner shooting more, like, and they yeah. want to get him shooting more on the power play, and he's working on a shot. It's like, eh, it turns out not so much. Uh, <laughs> that is that is a shocking statistic. I What was more, I guess, like, that's weirdly more shocking than Matthews having 40 goals and none of them being empty netters. Does yeah. he, I, I didn't know that either. Look at us. Yeah. Tidbits galore today. Yeah. yeah. I think the fact that he has 10 is all, it's like the Leafs scored 10 power play goals this year? Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, what's the more shocking stat? Leafs have more than 10 goals on power play all season long. Mitch Marner has none of them, or uh, uh, Austin Matthews only has or has no empty net goals. I, one last thought on Sandine before we just move on to one last topic today. 
I genuinely, like, if there's one thing that I feel most staunch about right now as an observer of this team is that I, I have zero understanding of any of the case against playing Rasmus Sandin over Travis Dermott. Like, I, I don't see two guys who are fighting for a spot. Like, I see Travis Dermott as this team's seventh defenseman. That's just, like, in yeah. stone to me if I'm the coach. I'm like, one, is the defensive drop-off, let's just say, greater... Like, is there one even at all between those two guys? I don't know. I haven't seen it. Again, these games can be difficult to evaluate on the fly and small samples and confirmation bias and all that stuff. But I would argue that they're at least even. And then when it comes to offensive ability, it's not even close. Like, that's probably been one of the weirdest things about the Travis Dermott story is that he was supposed to have some offensive element to his game. Right. And it's like it has not existed at all at the yeah, NHL like level. Four points or something this year? He, he's – like, I, I, I'm not trying to be mean-sounding here, but, like, I, I've – how many times have you ever noticed Travis Dermott, like, make a, an incredible breakout pass or make a play or jump up into the rush? Like, they're just not things he does, which is fine because – Really, you're thinking, hey, man, your biggest role and the most important thing you do is play responsible defense as a third-pairing guy. But he is not someone that provides you any kind of an offensive boost, whereas I think Sandine is. Then there's the other part of the argument, which is unless there's a weird miracle that happens where Seattle decides to take Alex Kerfoot and Toronto throws in draft picks they don't have to make that trade happen or a prospect that they probably shouldn't give up to make it happen to protect Travis Dermott when they already have a loaded left side of the blue line – the overwhelming assumption has to be that Dermot is not going to be with your team next year. Like, he's That's an true. RFA who is going to likely get poached by Seattle. So, like, your team can be better now, and it can better position itself for the future by giving one of your cornerstones, like, meaningful reps in a series where he's going to have sheltered minutes and he's not going to be at the very front. Like, this just seems way too perfect to play Sandine over, like, I, I genuinely cannot come up with one thing. It's like, did the Leafs owe Travis Dermott anything? Like, I don't think so. Um, it's not Freddie Anderson no, where he was, like, an all-star for you. Like, this doesn't matter. Just sit Travis Dermott. I'm sorry. I like Travis Dermott. He's a great season. Really, really impressive year for him. But to me, there's just I, – I like, if you have a case for Dermott over Sandine and you listen to the show, like, please send it my way because I, I, I can't – I've thought about it a lot, and I can't find one thing. It's to me. It's you know with the Dermot thing. It's more of a sunk cost thing. Like you know they put so much time and effort and so many years into developing him. And th on on his end, I will say the one thing that strikes me as a failing that it didn't or hasn't worked uh, to a larger degree with him is that he didn't define himself in any way as a defensive defenseman, as an offensive defenseman, as a special teams defenseman, as a physical defenseman. Like what's the thing you do? That you know that that we're like okay, that's his situation where he shines. You know, if you ask a lot of uh, people around him what he does well, it's he jukes guys. Like I, you know, in the in, with the Marlies, I called him like Mike Vick. He'd go back on on pucks and he'd like shake guys off. He'd beat that first guy and he'd be able to make a great breakout pass and he'd jump up the ice and get in the rush. I don't think he's been afforded either the freedom or the confidence to be that guy at the NHL level yet. I think it's possible that he goes and plays for Seattle and is very effective with a fresh start, you know, being allowed to do a little bit more with all this experience under his belt. I will say that the, you know, if you're, if you're making a case for him, it's just that he's been in the moments before and you're less worried about the moments overwhelming him. Now, I'm not worried with Sandine in that situation because he's Swedish. And honestly, it's a Swedish thing. They are like these beautifully calm, aloof hockey players that seem completely unfazed Dude. by anything. And so I think he's he's well equipped to deal with pressure. We had uh, the general manager of the Greyhounds on last week, Kyle Raftis. Yeah. And he was talking about things that we assume about Sandine because of the quietness. And it's like... Dude, I, I just think this guy is the real the realest of the, the deals. <laughs> you know, like I just and a lot of it is that composure and that makeup and that quietly he is this unbelievably confident driven guy that even if you don't see it on like we make so many assumptions about hockey players based on like the way that their facial expressions are <laughs> because they don't give us a lot off the ice, so we have to make these like wide leaps. But with him it's just you do any type of homework on the guy and it's just more and more and more wow, this is this is a gamer. And I just, I don't think you're, I just, I'm with you. I do not believe that he's going to be in a playoff series and feel overwhelmed by 
Brennan Gallagher on the forecheck. I just don't see it. Like, I, I just do not see that scenario. Okay, last thing. We got to run. We only got a couple minutes. I wish I left a little bit more time with this, but it's okay. Phil Kessel hits 900 career points. Um, best photo guy in the league. Like, this photo of him holding the puck, I'm like, this is a guy who skates every day. Just incredible. Like, truly incredible. That this is a guy who's 900 goals. I am a huge Phil Kessel fan. Like, I always have been. But all it really made me think about was, is Phil Kessel underrated? I know we've done this so many times, but I want to do it one more time based on him getting 900 goals and me not really having a radio show when it happens. You look at his career and everything that he accomplished, and you look at it, as a whole, and it's just, it's a lot. And the one that really stuck out for me is that everyone rips on Phil because the way his body looks. He's one of only 25 players that have played over 500 consecutive games. Like, that's shocking. Yeah. Did I get cut out? Are both you guys there? Sorry, no, sorry. I'm here, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. It depends for <laughs> me mics. If, if you need your stars to be drivers or not. Because, like, does he have to drive the bus? Because, like, how effective is Taylor Hall look in Boston when he's not the guy? How effective do he look in Pittsburgh when he's not the guy? If you want, if you need your superstar to be the guy, like some people do, then Kessel's not your guy. But, boy, he is the best of the complementary type players that, you know, that, that exist. All I would say about the Kessel not being the guy is that in his prime, when he was with the Leafs as the guy, he was the only guy, like, right. at all. Right. Like, I looked at there's, – there's years where Kessel was outscoring his teammates by 20 points and where it's just like – we always did the thing with, uh, with Sundin, right, where we'd be like, who's Sundin's second-best player? And where, where was the guys that played with Sundin? And we, like, really never did that with Kessel. We did it a little bit in the moment, but it was like when they got Tyler Bozak, it was like, wow, they got Tyler freaking Bozak to play with Phil Kessel. Can you believe it? Like, finally, they got him a guy. He <laughs> scored 37 goals with the Leafs twice. And when he first came to Toronto, I was talking about this the other day in reference to Matthews and how brilliant the 40-goal just uh, assurance is. But when they got Kessel, he came in hurt. And it was, oh, boy, you hope the Leafs didn't get a Band-Aid. And then he just didn't miss any other games. And yeah. he came in there, and he was basically like, I'm going to play 82, and I'm going to score over 35 goals. I'm going to score 37 goals. I'm going to get 80-plus points. And I'm going to do it next to nobody. I'm going to do it on teams where people are going to care more about what Mikhail Grabowski is doing. And I'm also going to do it in what I thought were some of the most unfair media conditions maybe ever, like for a player, where it's like the way Phil Kessel got treated actually did shift the way that we looked at media coverage in this city and the way that we talk about players and the responsibility of actually being a little bit more fair in our assessments of these guys rather than just, you know, doing what has been done with Phil, which we don't really need to document because it's been done many, many a time. I just, I, I think the guy is weirdly underrated. I think his tenure as a Leaf is sometimes a little understated because it was such an ugly team that had such ugly losses and bad, bad finishes to seasons where it was just acrimonious between the two sides. But just when I look at the entire body of work and I watched, I looked at that photo of him holding the puck up and how one, he's like one of the most interesting personalities in the game that he's someone who, you know, uh, had a cancer scare at what, 18 years old. Like I know cancer scare. He had cancer mm -hmm. and put up 900 points and has been criticized over and over and over when it comes to conditioning or caring enough. It's like, Shout Hey, well, guess Pons what? Smythe. Yeah, but it's like, hey, guess what? You can say all you want about Phil Kessel not caring enough or being in good enough condition or what-ifs and what have you, but it's like one of only 25 players to do that, play 500 straight games, and have 900 points. It's like, I think it's kind of give your head a shake a little bit if you think that there's anything this guy left off the table in his career. Like, truly, truly incredible career. You can also make the point that in hockey, the guy thing is a bit of a myth. Name me a bad sure. team where one guy has brought them anywhere. Never happens. Dude. And then he went to a good team where they had, like, uh, Sidney Crosby, and he, like Ben said, could have won the Conn Smythe. Like, nah. There, I just, there's, the, the Phil Kessel stuff should be dead and buried. And, like, if you really criticize Phil Kessel, I just think you're a loser. Yeah, we, should, we should be able to go back and revise awards because that was Sidney Crosby's first Conn Smythe because Malkin had won. Nah, he should still get that. Nah, he yeah, should still but, get like, that. if we knew the, he was going to get one the next year. But the fact is you remember Phil was there. Yeah, but you yeah. still remember that Phil was right there and that he was instrumental to that run. And that, yeah, when you put him on highly competitive teams and you asked him to be at his very best, he proved it. So anyway, I'm just, I am a Phil Kessel guy and I will always Shout be a Phil, Phil Kessel guy. And he was underrated Leaf. And, the, and you know what's so crazy about Matthews too? We got to go. We really have to go. 
when I watched Phil Kessel play for the Leafs, I remember thinking constantly, I'm never going to see a guy with a better shot than this play for the Leafs. Like, wow, look at this guy's shot. Never going to see anything sweeter than Phil. And yet I don't ever think about Phil Kessel anymore because of Austin <laughs> Matthews' wrist shot. Where It's like, how did this happen so soon after that they somehow got a guy with the, the, the shot of Matthews? Poor Phil. Poor Phil. Doesn't even get the legacy yeah. of nastiest wrister. Yeah, diluted legacy. Thanks, Austin. Yeah, thanks a lot, Austin Matthews. Yeah, way to go. Way to ruin it for Phil. By the way, I put yeah. our Fre- our Freddie versus Jack Campbell question as a poll on Twitter at the start of the show. Uh, 88% Jack Campbell, game one. Yeah, I think 1,500 votes yeah. on that. It's going to go down as well. Uh, yeah. Great stuff, Borny. Talk to you again next week. Thanks, fellas. Bye-bye. Bye. There's Justin Bourne. Uh, that was good show's Leafs Hour.